Welcome to Jiri Snacks, snackable episodes about the Jiri exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable Jiri course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to get you better results in less time. You can try it out for free by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now, let's get started. So today, we have Amit Kapoor from Spari Consulting with us. Amit, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on. That's a real fan of the podcast. Love how you're kind of um, demystifying a lot of aspects of standardized testing for uh, for a lot of people out there. So uh, thanks for having me on board. Thank you. Um, you know, as Sperry Consulting, we've been around for about 15 years. Uh, we're actually a broader career management firm, but about, you know, 80, 85% of our clients come on board when they're considering graduate school, uh, whether it's an MBA, whether it's other masters or higher level educational degrees. Uh, and we work with people just to help them put their best foot forward and tell their story uh, and align it with what the admissions committees are looking for so that we can match up and, and help clients find the right M, you know, MBA or graduate programs uh, you know, for them and, and uh, what best aligns with their longer term career needs. Fantastic. And one of the things that's interesting about MBA programs um, is that oftentimes people are doing it, you know, coming from a place of trying to up level their career or they're trying to essentially make more money in the future. Right. Um, and so yeah. oftentimes you you don't really think about scholarships as a part of that whole process, right? Or it's not as like undergraduate in college where it's, it's, a, it's a key piece of the equation for everyone. And so for MBA programs, I'd really love if you could walk us through how to get scholarships for MBAs as well. This is actually a topic we haven't covered before on this podcast. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a really important topic for people to consider not just in, obviously, the financial advantages of getting a scholarship, uh, but uh, you're right, oftentimes people don't think about scholarships. They may be coming from an employer that might be sponsoring them, or frankly, they might, uh, may, they might come from affluent backgrounds or uh, you know, be making a lot of money through MBA and not think that the scholarship is either for them or that they're going to get a lot of benefit out of it. And, and right. there's, there's obviously two advantages to scholarships. One is, again, the financial rewards, but also you're going to start your program with networking opportunities, with an elevated profile within the class. Mm. Uh, and the university is going to be in, additionally invested in your success. Um, they're obviously trying to help everybody, but having that differentiated scholarship, having earned that is already going to elevate you versus some of your peers uh, in, in the class. So it's a really important topic. Um, huh. In terms of how, do, yeah, I actually, yeah, sorry. I'd love to just before we move on, I'd love to dig in on that a little bit. Why is it that yeah. getting a scholarship elevates you in the class? I understand from the university's perspective, it does, right? Because, like you said, they're kind of investing in you a little bit more. So I could see why the university would be more sort of just like paying attention to what you're doing. But is it also true that that? is either like public information within your student body or maybe it's within your professors? Like, how does this get elevated? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of times the professors will know, sometimes the professors are partnering with some of the donor organizations. It's also that there may be networking, differentiated networking opportunities. 
kind of mm. think of, uh, you know, cocktail hours and things like that for scholarship recipients, where you have an opportunity to network either with donors or with university administrators. Again, it's that uh, show, you know, the universities love to showcase the best of the best. Uh, and obviously, they want to showcase everybody that is, you know, attending their program. But as with any organization, if you are showing yourself to be further elite, uh, that's going to open up opportunities that uh, that other people may not have. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize that scholarships had their own networking opportunities. That's pretty interesting. And yeah, like you said, um, I think that when people think of scholarships, they think of you know, undergrad scholarships where it's people who couldn't afford to go otherwise. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of people that are going to business school are still kind of having a good career for the most part, right? And like have some income, right? So they might not have thought it would apply to them. So what are kind of like the thresholds? I know it's going to be different for every school, but like what are the things you should be thinking about where a scholarship's even on the table at all? Um, Particularly because they're merit-based, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the scholarships, the merit-based scholarships are generally available to everybody. So this is different than needs-based. And, and most universities, uh, most, most, let's say, MBA programs do have needs-based programs because not everybody is coming from affluent backgrounds, especially in recent years. A lot of universities have begun programs reaching out to people from social impact or nonprofit and, you know, uh, backgrounds where they do have a vibrant set of experiences and skills that will add to the value of the class. Um, they want to attract those people, e even with the high cost of, of, let's say, an MBA program. They do want to find ways of bringing those people in. So there are needs-based scholarships. Most, uh, most programs have them. In terms of the merit scholarships, uh, they, the universities use that, uh, as, as with other you know, organizations that are seeking to recruit people into their class, uh, they, they use it as, as a form of negotiation. Uh, they, some schools know that they may not be uh, as uh, high on the priority list as others. And so they, uh, they may use uh, merit-based scholarships more aggressively. Uh, we like to remind our clients when they're beginning the application process is that not all admissions are the same. Uh, you know, if you get into your number one school uh, but then get into your number five school with a full ride scholarship. You know, do you prefer your number one school more than your number five school? Absolutely. Do you prefer it one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand dollars more? Um, maybe not. And and we've had clients that have you know chosen either side of that. They've you know taken the money uh, because it's going to open up new opportunities for them with recruiting, and they're going to have more flexibility and not graduate with debt. We've had other people who have said, nope, I have enough faith in myself. I'm going to pick my number one school and uh, be happy in that choice. And that's okay, too. So part of the, you know, number one in, uh, you know, going and, and uh, getting merit-based scholarship is first uh, having the awareness that uh, everybody has an opportunity to do it. Um, you know, it's important to showcase your enthusiasm for the school. Um, since they are using it as a recruiting tool, they're less likely to give merit-based scholarships to people who they don't think are going to come anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's important attend sessions, get to know, uh, get to know admissions staff. Uh, you know, we sometimes run into this misconception out there. We we spend a lot of time with admissions directors from from all of the top, frankly, all the top twenty programs. Uh, you know, they all joke that you know there's sometimes this misconception of them being 
you know, guardians at the castle walls and they're trying to keep the barbarian hordes out of the castle. And that's not it at all. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they mostly say, look, we're recruiters. We have spots to fill. Uh, you know, we, we're actively looking for people. We actually want to partner with people. We want to make sure it's the right fit for them. Uh, so if people are enthusiastic about our school, then they're going to, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they may use the merit-based scholarships uh, to attract the right candidates into their program, uh, especially if those candidates are filling uh, an element of the class profile that they may not already have. Right. Got it. And so, yeah, that is maybe then a good segue into kind of the next part, which is, so you're interested in schools. How do you kind of get on the merit-based scholarship page, right? Because at least my understanding is that they don't come out and just offer it without you asking, or is that incorrect? Yeah, that's a great point. That's also uh, sometimes uh, a little bit of a misconception. Every university is different. Uh, Sometimes they have formal application processes, uh, and we often help our clients through those. Uh, But a lot of times the merit-based scholarships, you're automatically considered for it because the way the university defines merit uh, oftentimes is how eager they are to have you added to their class. Uh, So it's part of Uh, being considered for merit-based scholarships is to make sure that in your application, you are always putting your best foot forward. We like to, you know, and we push clients hard. Uh, Don't take take shortcuts. If you feel that your essay is 98% of the way there, but not 100%, uh, but you're just tired of it and just want to hit submit, try and avoid that temptation because that Mm. 2% can make the difference between a merit-based scholarship or not. Uh, you know, similarly, if uh, a school is coming into your city or maybe even coming into your office, depending on who you work for, um, go attend that session, get to know the admission staff. Uh, you know, they they do track that stuff uh, and not in a sinister way, but like any organization, they care about how enthusiastic people are. Uh, you know, if, if somebody writes in their essay that, you know, hey, XYZ school is my number one choice but then they haven't attended a session, the schools will treat that statement, uh, that statement skeptically versus somebody who maybe attends two or three sessions, maybe they identify with an affinity group or, uh, or have an opportunity for a more uh, kind of just you know, smaller group setting where they can build some of those relationships. It's that, that type of networking is really important even when being considered for merit-based scholarships because again, that enthusiasm for the school, if they feel that they they want to fight for you and that fighting for you will make the difference between you attending and not attending, then they'll absolutely uh, they'll absolutely got it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I'm starting to put the pieces together here, right? It sounds like you've got to really demonstrate interest and do a good amount of work to do that, right? Um, attending info sessions. And just, I, I guess then, other than info sessions, is there anything else for demonstrating interest before I just like move on in my little spiel? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's uh, you know, I think attending the information sessions, uh, you know, uh, again, doing it in a way that starts to build relationships with the admission staff, um, they are there to help you. And so the more you can, now you, you obviously don't want to do too much. You don't want to be you know, we call it that guy, you know, at those information sessions that <clears throat> tends to dominate the conversation or, t- you know, is, is trying too hard. It's also 
not a race to, you know, I attended 10 information sessions versus seven, you know, usually two or three is, is kind of the sweet spot is, you know, if there's opportunities for more, uh, you know, if you get invited to things, um, you know, take up those invitations if you can. Uh, but it's not a race to spend, you know, dozens and dozens of hours with the admission staff. Um, it's really just enough to get to know them. They get to know you a little bit. Then they'll be on the lookout for your application. Got it. Yeah. And I think then that kind of leads to the next part of my my question, which is, um, it sounds like, so you're demonstrating interest. You're, you know, maybe you're applying to schools that are not that are schools where you're a competitive or more than competitive applicant, right? Um, and then sort of the other piece of it that I'm curious about is, is there an aspect of either your resume, whether that's your job, or, or like you mentioned nonprofits before, or like your extracurriculars and things you're involved in, or is there an aspect of your essay that is also going to move the needle on making you more likely to be looked at for a merit scholarship? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, it, it's it's hard to separate out the different elements of it, but holistically, absolutely. So what we like to push people, you know, when we're working with people is, you know, make sure in your application, and the good news is this helps in your admission, your chance of admission in the first place, is make sure that you're highlighting aspects of your application, aspects of your background that make you special. Now, the bad news is it, it, it's, it, there's no one thing, there's no one kind of common trait amongst, uh, you know, admissions uh, in, in terms of uh, amongst it, um, successful candidates. You know, when we look at our successful uh, admissions in, in round one and round two so far this year, you know, it, it's 20 different plus different career tracks. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, it's, there's no common thread to... You know, if you come from consulting, you've got an advantage, or if you come from finance, you have an advantage. But it's making sure that whatever your background, whatever your experience, highlight those things that you achieved that maybe other people struggled with, relationships that you built maybe with difficult clients or difficult business partners, or, you know, uh, opportunities where you created something new amongst your team or amongst your organization those things will help you stand out. Uh, you know, one of the more powerful stories we saw this past year, uh, somebody who ultimately got into Stanford, um, they had an informal advisory role. Uh, they, they really struggled with it uh, because they had an informal advisory role uh, at a startup that ultimately was very successful. Um, in fact, the, the executives at the startup uh, went to bat for this person. Um, this isn't necessarily something specific to financial aid, but they were able to showcase that uh, that special element of them and allowed them to get into uh, a program when their 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 grade their standardized test scores uh, and uh, their their grades were below the stated averages and in some cases well below it. Uh, but there was that special element of them. Um, do the same thing when you're pushing for financial aid. Make sure that your application and if you get a chance to interview. Uh, that you are showcasing those elements of you that are special. It, and this this applies to whatever background you're from. We've seen this work with people from, you know, consulting backgrounds, finance backgrounds, military backgrounds, social impact, nonprofit, you know, it really runs the gamut. And so um, everybody's got something special. Uh, the, your listeners have something special about their profile. Make sure that your application speaks to what is special about you. 
that's going to maximize your chances for financial aid as well. Got it. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, I don't know. It's I, I think I would still rather be a uh, a formal advisor to the startup with shares, but I think that's pretty good. It's a pretty good. <laughs> Depends on how model. the startup does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If they IPO, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious. Then, as we kind of wrap this topic up, like, what are some sort of other things we haven't covered yet, or just like parting thoughts on uh, getting scholarships for MBA programs? Yeah, I think maybe two other things. One is uh, be mindful of the schools you are applying to. Um, you know, the, the the lower the acceptance rate of the schools, you know, it, it's it's like supply and demand. Mm -hmm. If the schools feel like they are going to get uh, people coming to their school, uh, even if they don't offer financial aid, then, you know, like any organization, they, they won't offer it. Um, mm -hmm. Or they won't offer it as much. You know, if I look at, you know, our firm over the years has as, as, uh, helped clients earn over $35 million of, of merit-based scholarships. Oh, wow. Um, you know, a small sliver of that is from Harvard and Stanford. And I don't mean to pick on those two type of school, you know, those two schools, because they're great schools. Um, you know, we have a lot of clients who, who are enjoying uh, happy graduates and, and, and happy uh, students at those schools. Um, but they're not as aggressive with financial aid because they don't need to be. Uh, you know, they are. Uh, they're in a position where they've got plenty of applicants who want to go there. Um, and so they don't need to be as aggressive with financial aid, whereas other mm -hmm. schools who, you know, are other schools in the top 10 of, of kind of most of the rankings out there will be more aggressive uh, because they can use those that that merit-based merit aid, uh, merit aid to find uh, amazing candidates and attract them to the program. Um, the other element of scholarships is not being afraid to negotiate. Uh, we we sometimes uh, you know run into clients where they're successful at a variety of schools. They get financial aid at one school, and they're super happy, and they want to sign on the dotted line. Um, there are often times where you might get uh, aid from you know a school, but it's not your number one choice, and you didn't get financial aid from your number one choice, but you did get admitted. Um, you know, take a step back. We we work with clients to uh, to negotiate, uh, to you know, find the right tone. Uh, you don't want to be giving ultimatums and and uh, you know, kind of uh, you know, making things emotional. But uh, it it's a totally appropriate to reach out to your number one choice and say, hey, you know, I got into this other school. They gave me X Y Z. Um, you know, wondering about additional uh, aid opportunities. It never hurts to ask. Uh, and in uh, many cases, uh, the schools will, uh, you know, uh, increase the, uh, the aid. Uh, they sometimes match. Um, it's just important to know what, uh, you know, your priorities are. Uh, you know, if, you're, if it's your number one school, what is the, uh, the, the aid difference that uh, would need to uh, occur for you to switch your priorities and, and you know, uh, take the school with the higher aid? So it's just important right. to kind of reflect on that, uh, but but definitely don't be afraid to negotiate because, like anything in this process, um, you know there are organizations that are trying to they're trying to attract great candidates. I have one last question. This is a little bit of a curveball, but okay. is is it a valid strategy? Let's say due either to your personal financial situation, like maybe you're taking care of your parents or something like that. Or maybe you've worked in a nonprofit your entire career. Um, aid is actually 
a very important thing to you to the point where you're going to focus on it. Would yep. it be ridiculous to apply to schools? Let's, you know, you go out, you work really hard, you get a great GRE or GMAT score. Um, you know, you have a pretty solid resume that, you know, maybe you have a, a shot at a top 10 school, but is there a strategy where you kind of do cast a, a, a net down also like down quote unquote, cause these are still awesome schools, but like in yep. sort of the top 50 with the goal of getting a, a free ride or, or cl as close as you can to a full ride type of situation. Is that realistic or is it more just kind of like it's ad hoc and you can't really count on it? Uh, uh, you know, a little bit of both, unfortunately. I think in terms of uh, we always recommend people, uh, you know, cast as wide a net as they're comfortable with. Uh, and that doesn't mean you have to uh, commit to applying to a school. But at this stage, you know, we're working with a lot of clients on round one and even round two applications. Um, you know, if you're thinking of applying to X number of schools, kick the tires on two to three X. And part of that selection should be, uh, you know, if, if there's schools where you feel you've got a better shot at financial aid. Um, the caveat here is making sure that you still show that enthusiasm for the school. Um, you know, this is a little bit of a paradox, but if you if you aim too low uh, in mm -hmm. your uh, in your graduate school uh, applications, Sometimes the schools are skeptical of whether you're going to come there because, you know, obviously you're trying to present yourself as compelling candidates as possible, um, but they're also going to know you're compelling to other schools. So that's where, you know, getting to my earlier point of making sure you're showing enthusiasm to the school, going to sessions, you know, talk to people, network with them, emphasizing your application, why that school is the right choice for you. Um, and then, uh, you know, being open to more of that financial aid, uh, you know, cr creating opportunities where uh, the financial aid is more likely to come for you. Uh, yeah, I, I think that that strategy can work. Um, as you're negotiating, um, it's important to remember you're trying to convince somebody of doing something that's in their interest, not necessarily in yours. So if you're trying to negotiate on financial aid and talking about, how good the financial aid would be for you, um, you know, that, that's fine. But, it, you know, the schools have a limited budget, unfortunately. Um, they're more focused on why it's good for them to give you the financial aid. And so part of that is going to be it could make the difference between you attending or not. Part of that could be it's going to help in some of your recruiting opportunities, make you more comfortable, especially if you're doing something that may not be as highly compensated as, you know, some of the traditional post-MBA careers out there, but is going to make the school look good, then that's something to, to also ha uh, highlight in, in your negotiation. But, but definitely as, as you're casting, uh, you know, your net for uh, MBA uh, and other graduate programs, uh, cast it as, as wide as you can, because you never know through the process. Um, we've, we've, you know, over the years, we've seen a multitude of times where People start the process thinking that, you know, XYZ school is their number one choice uh, and then realizing that, you know, maybe what they thought was their number seven or 10 school is actually their number one choice, maybe after visiting or being able to talk to students or networking uh, with some of the staff there. So it's, it's really important to cast a wide net. Great. Thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Amit Kapoor from Spari Consulting. And Achievable has a great online GRE course you can try for free at Achievable.me. Be sure to use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout.